Names, welcome. You've come to our class today on Dinner Church. So I want to welcome you. My name is Larry Bogenreeve. I'm a pastor up in the Cleveland area, and we've been doing meals at our church since 2011. And uh, we've done probably between 125 and 150,000 meals during that time. Uh, last year, we gave out about $340,000 worth of produce. And we did about, um, according to them, over 100,000 meals when you consider all the things there. So I've done a lot of sweat equity in this, so I'm not trying to impress you because if you knew what we did and you saw how we did it, you'd pray for us greatly. So uh, I'm just saying that, that dinner church is a lot of work, so it's not a shortcut. It's an opportunity, and we're going to talk about some of the opportunity that we have uh, today. And so, um, again, let me just tell you my story with Dinner Church. We've been doing meals for a long time, but one of the things that we missed was the incremental steps to get people from secularism, de-churched, unchurched, into the church. And so we found that uh, we've been doing a lot of work with the community, but we, we failed to get them to a place where they, they would open their hearts to even come to church. And so Dinner Church is an evangelistic model that's flexible, but it's also a discipleship model that works. And so we're going to look at those two things um, together and see if we can't uh, get it to speak. So you're looking for the projector side of it? Oh, tell me it's going to work. Okay. I wonder if it worked easier on my phone. Um, so I always say technology is a wonderful thing when it works, and right now it's not working, so I guess you're going to have to uh, roll with that. I do have notes, however. Yay! So I have an outline of our basic meal, and then we have just some notes that kind of explain that. So if we could just go ahead and pass these around. Ooh, help me. So this is just the notes for the class. And then we'll pass those out over here. And then we're going to um, take this. This one here is just the order of service, basically, as you would uh, with it. So if you don't understand what dinner church is, just think uh, dinner theater. It's, it's embedded within the meal is the church service. So that sounds simple, but there's some really... Uh, just interesting segues into that. So please uh, bear with us here, still working on it. All right, so I'm just gonna go ahead and start on your notes there and um, work through that. Is there any extras there? I need to get one back to me. Yeah, it's still going around. Thank you, thank you. Lydia, here's my facilitator. So if, if, you, if I say something and you don't believe it, you can ask her and she'll clue you the, tell you the truth, I guess, uh, from her perspective. Um, so we're going to, again, just take a, a look at several different things and talk about the... Still, still not working there. Okay. PowerPoint. So got to use the phone. Last-ditch one's there. Uh, so... On here, we're just going to talk about some of the flexible model that we have when it comes to dinner church and the reason why I believe that it's a powerful tool for evangelism moving forward for us. So I went to Tanzania and in Tanzania, there was about 45 of our pastors that were there and it was it was amazing. But there was clearly some things that they understood about their culture that I don't think were caught up to them yet. And, and the cultural side of that is how do we do evangelism within our context? They knew how to do evangelism there. And there's three ways that they did evangelism. They did door-to-door -door evangelism, and it worked. 
Okay, they did, they did uh, outdoor uh, preaching and it worked and they showed the Jesus film. Those were their three primary evangelistic strategies. So me being an American pastor, I'm going, wow, what's our evangelistic strategy? You know, how, how can we do that? Because I don't know about your church, but my church, we love people. We stink at evangelism. We just don't do it well. And so we came back with this. So on my way back, Aliano gives me this book. Hey, you need to read this because you do church meals. And so it was this book called Dinner Church, and uh, you can pick it up. It's really uh, easy. It's a guy named Verlin Fosner, who's out of Seattle, Washington, who the Holy Spirit spoke to years ago about selling their traditional church and starting to do dinner church in Seattle. In fact, they do it to the place where they have 30 dinner churches every night of the week in Seattle because they have a humongous uh, problem with homelessness in Seattle. And so the one amazing testimony that's in the book, and you can read it yourself, it just says Dinner Church. You can go to dinnerchurch.com. Fresh Expressions is the website that will sell uh, that book to you. But here's one of the great testimonies. So this guy, he's at a, a dinner church meeting, and he's telling this guy, you need to get here. It's life or death. You know, and he's just telling the guy, pleading with the guy on the other end of the phone, you need to be here. I'm telling you, if you don't get here, you're going to die. So, you know, what, normally the, the volunteer was listening to this conversation. You know, what is he talking about, right? So he began to unpack that to the volunteer by saying, this is my story. He goes, you know, I was an addict. I, I was mainline heroin. My life was a wreck and I was hungry. So I went to your dinner church. And, you know, I was just eating my food. And then somebody talked about how that, you know, God worked in their life. But he says, then they prayed for me. And there was something that happened supernaturally in that prayer. They laid hands on me, prayed for me, and said, break off this addiction in the name of Jesus. So he left that day. And normally he started, you know, he would start getting cravings back at it. So, you know, it's midday. He feels pretty good. But, he, you know, he knows that it's coming. And so uh, he says, you know what? I bet you, I think there's another dinner church tonight. I wonder if they prayed for me that I would not have my cravings anymore. So he goes to it another night and he gets prayer. And the same thing happened for 30 days. He didn't miss a meal every day he went there. So when you see him talking to his friend that was an addict and he's saying it's life or death, all of a sudden it made a big different impression on him to say, you know, you're thinking that, you know, a meal for somebody is just another meal. But for somebody who's lonely, somebody who's busted and disgusted, who doesn't have answers, they're suicidal, and they're looking for hope, the meal that you provide for them in your community or your context could be the, the difference between life and death. And so they pick that up and begin to utilize that. So they have national uh, trainings. They're having one in Washington, D.C., but unfortunately it's booked, so you won't be able to get there. But uh, uh, that's how right now many mainline denominations are picking this up because they have no evangelism strategy either. So they've got to find some way to connect people to Jesus that's here. So here's our Pentecostal side of it, right? So we, we have what we call the Mother Teresa rules up in, in Cleveland because it's the Rosary Belt. Some of you live in the Bible Belt. We live in the Rosary Belt up in the Northeast because there's so many Catholics. My city is probably 60% Catholic if you ask them. So the Mother Teresa rules are uh, you help people with open-handed, with no strings attached. Okay, number one rule. If you do that, you might be legitimate. The second thing about the Mother Teresa rules is Catholics believe in prayer. So really great strategy. You lay hands on them, they get healed, voila, you've got opportunity. It's not the answer, 
but you have opportunity at that point because they can see the authenticity of your faith. The third thing that they uh, believe in is miracles. Catholics believe in crazy miracles. You know what? Pentecostals do too. We have something in common with them. We pray, we believe for miracles, something happens. So when we, in our area, if you ask for somebody to pray, they'll say, sure, pray for me. Of course, they're thinking you're going to pray with them, you know, later on in the day or in the morning when you get up. But when you say, I'm going to pray with you right now, you grab their, their elbow and you say, in the name of Jesus, we just break this fibromyalgia, whatever that is. And you give an opportunity because, again, the power of witnessing is in the breach of those who need to hear it. I mean, they desperately need to hear it. So, okay, way off my outline. All right, so does anybody have an extra one of those pieces of paper that I got? Thank you. All right, it's not working, so we're going to punt on that. Oh, okay. And I just... Thank you. All right, thank you very much. All right, so let's... Um, there's that one. Let's go here. So let's just go through the basics quickly. Um, the first one is the, the table of contents. Pardon my humor. Um, the food. Uh, everybody needs to eat. So, you know, it gets back to some people. It's dangerous here because they'll focus so much on the food they forget that we're here to touch people's lives. So you don't have to be perfect about the food. Uh, you just need to have something. And, and uh, sometimes we do it good and sometimes we don't. Okay, so it depends on who's cooking that night. We have people that have worked in hospitals, and I don't know where the other people worked at, but uh, you know, so, uh, but God still is faithful, and uh, he works. So the meal's important, and how you get your food, so you may uh, have a good team, you know, start small and, and work out, so one way churches do it is they do a potluck, and they bring it all to the meal, and they serve somebody else. The potluck is... You do the meatloaf, you do the mashed potatoes, you do this, you do the, the dessert, and, and pretty much our meal breaks down to that. You know, you have your meat, you have your starch, you have your vegetable, you have your salad, and you have your dessert. That's the meal. Uh, you know, you could do soup or whatever, sometimes it gets messy, but, uh, you know, the simplicity of that alone helps to give a framework. Now, we'll come back to the apostolic genius of how you get the food in just a minute. Here, the second thing here, and wait, one other thing is you can ask restaurants to get, give you food, and they will, believe it or not, because they make soup, they're not going to keep it forever, you get it, you freeze it, and then you unthaw it, and voila, you have soup there. And if you have a soup and sandwich, you have a meal. So, uh, so again, the second one is your team. Uh, here's that apostolic genius that we've come up with. Here is, uh, it's a discipleship opportunity is. You know, most people say, well, I don't know if we've got enough people who have the guts to do a meal together at our church. And, you know, so the issue for us is um, think of a Lego. Okay, on the Lego, this Lego has eight bumps in it. Okay, what, we, what our goal is is to get four of the people for the bumps covered by people from our church. And we leave four other opportunities for people to connect with us to help us to do that. So on all of our teams, we have somebody that's unchurched, de-churched, secular, and they don't have a clue. And we do that intentionally. And the reason why is because discipleship happens organically often. So the conversations between Christians as they're preparing the meal, as they're serving the meal, and before and after the meal is... You know, you, talk, you tell your Christians to talk to each other during that. Say, hey, I was praying for you. How'd that situation go? And they have an opportunity to share a testimony. And all of a sudden, you've got three people that they just witnessed to, and they've never witnessed to anybody else in their entire life. And they did it in such a carefree way, they didn't even realize what they were doing. It's called, again, discipleship triangulation. 
So sometimes you're talking with a de-church person who has some knowledge of God, and you're having a question with that. The secular person has no idea what you're talking about. Okay? It's a discipleship opportunity. This is called missional community. Okay? It's an approach to ministry that is not your traditional approach to church. And so in that approach that you have, there's a powerful opportunity to have conversations about Christ with people that desperately need them. But if you got them in the holy headlock and all you're trying to do is a one and done with, with them talking about Jesus, you wouldn't have the conversation. And the beauty of this is it happens week after week. Every time that you do this, there's these conversations going on. And after a while, they become acclimated to having conversations, gospel conversations with other people. And so it, it kind of tears the walls down and the scariness down of evangelism. And again, it's, it's what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 3 of farming the opportunities that you have. One plants, another waters, somebody else cultivates, but God gives the increase. The opportunity is it's the continual moving that person forward from unbelief to belief. So in, in that scale of the Engel scale that uh, Billy Graham used a lot, you can Google Engel scale, it'll tell you this. But the pre-discipleship is why many people don't come to Christ. It's why some of you that are in this room, you were pre-discipled before you ever gave your life to Jesus. There was somebody that took the time with you that you asked questions to, that there was conversation going on. It's more difficult in our current culture to have the pre-discipleship conversations. So dinner church helps to bring you to a place where there's the pre-discipleship questions and answers going on without the pressure. And, and people feel the pressure. So um, the dissidence theory, I don't know if you've ever, the cognitive dissidence is a, is a psychology, pop psychology thing. But dissidence is this. When somebody comes in and they get a rejection because of something that you said that bothered them, and it's just like they take a couple of steps back from you because they don't even know what to say to you, Okay. So this is how secular people feel about the church. Well, let me just go to this place. The dissonance is that they don't understand our language, Christian language, so they step back. They don't understand the Bible, they take a step back. They don't understand the music that you're singing, they take a step back. They don't understand somebody lecturing at them and telling them what to do, they step back. And pretty soon there's such a distance between them and the church that there's no possible way to bridge that. So... The dinner church helps to, again, do things that are familiar to them because everybody's got to eat, right? So uh, what do you do when you have family conversations? Conversations are going around and you're talking about life. It's pretty simple stuff, right? So in that place, it helps to bridge the gap. And that's why team is so important because uh, non-threatening conversations about the gospel is, is something that helps people who don't have, they have ignorance about the church. And you may think, well, I'm not that smart about the church. Trust me, when it comes to the biblical illiteracy that's in our culture today, you know way more about that. And any time that you mention a quoting in Scripture, it's a dissonance because they feel uncomfortable talking about that because they don't know anything about the Bible. Does that make sense? All right, still with me? So the message. So every uh, time that we gather together, somebody shares a personal uh, conversion testimony. The truth is, the conversion testimony of yesteryear doesn't happen in most churches today. You know, you could go to church for years and never hear how somebody gave, gave their life to Jesus. Unless there's some kind of focus or something like that. The stories 
that you have. And does the scripture not say that you know, you'll receive power to give meals? No. To hold services? No. To be witnesses. That's where the power is. So we do that every service, every dinner church. Someone gets up and says how they came to Jesus. That, that, that moment. And some people are really good. And some people stink. So you've got to help them, okay? So Pastor John back there has helped us. Um, he's got this Go 2020. In Go 2020 is a way to help people develop their personal testimony. That's lifted off in uh, May, but it's online right now. You can get it. Just go to ag.org 2020. I think I've got it in my notes there already. So just hit that. <coughs> Um, and then prepare, because if you, one of the things is most people don't know how to give their testimony, so uh, that's been a problem. Some people have amazing testimony, but they get so hung up in the details that they don't really, they focus on the details more than their personal testimony. What we tell them is, tell them how Christ changed your life. What, you know, how, why you're doing what you're doing today is because Jesus changed us, and testimonies are really powerful. We'll overcome by the word of our testimony. The second thing that we do as a part of the message is, so they, they share their testimony, and then we kick it back to the table. So we have about eight people sitting at a table, and, and they, they ask this brilliant question. What did you think about what that person just said? What, you know, and let's, let's talk about that. And then the, the table leader says, you know, uh, you know, it really resonates with me, because there was a time in my life that was really dark, and I needed, I needed help, and then God spoke to me. That's the table leader, right? So all of a sudden, there's two people. You know, where two or three agree about anything, you should be done. So you get the table person to be in agreement with what just happened. And some, sometimes you take a piece of their testimony and then you bring it to application there. So the table leaders are somebody that's really important and you got to kind of relate it back. So it's, you do an icebreaker, you introduce yourselves, go around the table, this is who I am. And uh, our icebreaker tonight is when we did it on leap year, uh, we said... You know, last week, um, so we, we had a leap year, you know, celebration, and Fat Tuesday was right before it, so it was a great dinner church moment, and you can't leap and, and be fat, too, so it's a little too challenging, so, um, but the, the, uh, the question was, and we had a, a, a missionary, which is great, where do you get, where do you get people to share their testimony? Missionaries, because you're doing it on an off night, usually, and so missionaries or Chi Alpha or Teen Challenge guys can come and help you out. So uh, we had some missionaries there, uh, Ken and Shelby uh, McQuiller. They, they do an inner city outreach in Cleveland. So we invited them to there. They, they do a learning center tutoring kids after school. So we just said, what was your worst, our icebreaker, what was your worst subject in high school? Or, and so, you know, they went around and it worked really good until I found some people didn't make it high school. And uh, so, uh, you know, I had to rephrase the question there. So, you know, again, you, you have a lot of different people in different situations, and not all of them think like we do. So the idea of the table leads are really important. And then the next one here talks about the devotional message. What time are we done in this class? Two. Two. Okay, so I got 20 more minutes at about 22. Somebody let me know if I, I ramble on. I apologize. And we're going to open it up for questions because I know some of you uh, have questions. And hopefully someone else in the room can answer it besides me. That'd be great. Thank you. Be prepared. Okay, so ministry is relational ministry. And so when you're in relationship and you're having conversations with people, we still do, we, we do uh, worship, we do communion. So this is one of the craziest stories here. So there's this, there's this family that came in, uh, that came to Christ, this Starman family. Eve gave her life to Jesus at the church and then her daughter. Now here's the thing, they're Jewish, okay? 
But they were really concerned about Papa, Papa Starman, because they said, you know, he's really hard, he's an AA guy, he speaks that language, you know. Um, so, but he had to eat, and they were cooking that night. So they decided, you know, he'd come and eat. So, so our leader says, hey, can you help us serve tonight? We're a little short. Intentional weakness, okay? He, he jumps up and helps. You know why? Because guys need purpose. They will not come to an event if they're just going to sit there. But if you tell them they got to work, oh, you need help? You know, here I am, <laughs> the savior of the day. I'm going to help. So they did this crazy thing with this Jewish guy. They said, hey, you know, we need help with community. Can you help serve community? The pastor is horrified. <laughs> Are you crazy? This is a sacred thing, and you're giving it to this unbeliever. You know, he got saved. Because he said, I can't believe that you would let me do something that's sacred. I know you guys consider this sacred. I don't even understand what you're doing, but you're allowing me to do this? You know, he is all in with Jesus. You know, he said, Pastor, whatever you want, I will help you. I will go wherever you, whatever you need to do, I'll do it. Um, a radical, you know, transformation, and it came back to something that I would have never done. You know, I would not have asked him to do communion. He thinks I'm a hero, but I wasn't going to tell him that. I would, I would have never allowed you to touch a communion tray. You get me? What do I know? You know? I mean, it just gets back to the fact of God works in mysterious ways, and he will use us if we're available. And sometimes we blunder onto things, and we don't even know it. And that's the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, who's in charge? Jesus is. I'm not. I have my ideas and my preferences. But when Jesus shows up, he works in ways that no man could do. And then who gets the glory? The pastor? Uh, no. He does not. Jesus gets the glory. So let's go on here. Um, the relational training uh, model that they use. So on the bottom there, there's um, the talking about. This is their, their kind of theme in dinner church. It's in their book. It just says, you talk about life. Tell me about who you are, what's going on in your life. And the conversation there with your kids, you know, that, that's a normal conversation most people have. And then you, move, you, you don't do much but listen. So the whole goal is... You know, so they're telling you about their life. You're a single mom. You got five kids, and you're working full time. How do you do that? What? That's almost like impossible. How? How do you do that? And they begin to talk about, well, it's really hard. And you know, I've got to do this, and my mom is involved, and you know, I have to do an after school program. And they begin to talk about all the deficiencies that are in their life. Okay, so this is again the idea of speaking to them and hearing what's going on in their life. And the last one is, you know, about the spirituality. That, that's so hard. I mean, I, personally, I don't know what I would do, but I pray a lot. I'm sure you pray a lot, right? And so into the segue of talking about the spirituality, how do you handle that emotionally? How do you handle that mentally? How do you handle the pressure? You know, because those people have to live by faith. It's not an option. That woman is living by faith. You want to tap into that conversation of how they do that. And then the reflection is, you know, man, I, I've dealt with some difficult things too. And here's how I did it. So the opportunity, again, to be a down-to-earth witness but you get credibility with people because you listen to them, not because you tell them. And Christians have to have, there's this fruit of the Spirit, the ninth one, self-discipline. Most Christians don't have it because we're tellers, not necessarily listeners. And so you've got to push a pause button on your ability to tell and listen. And when you do that, amazing things will happen. Okay, 
All right, I'm taking up my own time here, so that's good. All right, why, why dinner church? Let's, because Jesus did it. That's why. Jesus was a friend of sinners. One of the most common things that Jesus did was to eat with sinners. Do you intentionally do that in your life? Do you intentionally have dinner? Well, I'm not talking about your family. You, you have to have dinner with them. Once <laughs> yeah, some of them are rank sinners. Oh, my, let's have a prayer meeting right now. Uh, so, but Jesus... Jesus, again, he dealt with it on a continual basis. It was one of the criticisms of the Pharisees that Jesus was eating with sinners. Can you believe this guy? He claims to be a teacher, a rabbi. Doesn't he know those people are unclean? So if Jesus did it, let me ask you, why aren't you doing it? Why aren't you creating an environment that somebody that is brokenhearted, somebody that is a rank sinner and everybody knows it, Jesus felt they were worth a conversation. You know, it doesn't say that Jesus converted the whole house. It just says he ate with them and began to understand them. Culturally, that is so relevant to our times because there's so much damage that people have. And until you have conversation with it, you don't know how broken even some of your own family members are and what's really going on on the inside. So let's go on to the next one here. It's what the early church did, Acts 2.42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread. Notice that they use koinonia differently than the breaking of bread. Most people say that's the same thing, but not in the early church culture. It is not an accident they divided the two things apart. And I wanted to show you that because what they're saying is that breaking of bread was a part of the early church's uh, method of doing community. So meals are about creating community, and creating community is very powerful. And uh, I just got hung up. Same thing. I'm, uh, hopefully, yeah, it's cool. Okay, so let's uh, go on to the next one here. Uh, the next scripture on the backside. Uh, there's another one in Acts 2:46. But one of one of my favorites is where where they were having a, a distribution of food, and they had a crisis. The Greeks were upset at the Jews because they were getting served first. And, and if you ever do a meal, it's exactly the problem because everybody's arguing who got served first, right? So what's up with that? You know. So uh, in this place of of that. The, decide, the apostles say, hey, we, we can't wait tables. We need to give ourselves to the, to the ministry of the word and prayer. So the deacons were in charge of the food ministry. And they had two different things that they were responsible to be. They had to be full of the Holy Spirit. Woo! Had to be full of wisdom. Now, I don't know about you, but I've waited on tables. I neither need the Holy Spirit to do that or wisdom in the natural. But they realized it wasn't a natural distribution. It was a supernatural distribution. So the understanding that, well, it's just a meal. The apostles didn't feel like that. They asked, hey, I, who, who out there is full of the Holy Give us some men that are at the highest level, the greatest capacity of the Holy Spirit possible, and give us some men that understand the word so that when the organic opportunities to share to these widows what, what the Jesus had to give them, that they would be ready. Because if the waiters are that amazing, what must the apostles be like? All right, let's go on. Ingredients. Okay. So there's several ingredients here, and I've already talked to probably most of them, so I'll go through them because um, I don't have my notes. and I, I have to have a PowerPoint to keep me on track, so that's why I'm all over the place here. So um, let's go on here. Slideshow. Okay, okay, good. So the um, I had such an amazing one too. I, I just can't believe it. <laughs> so 
I put my email on there so you can get that. So, um, so let's go on to the, the three unique ingredients. First of all, I talked about already conversion testimonies. It's very unique and it's something that, again, you can do in a lot of different places, but the conversion testimonies are powerful. Now, you're going to see about the missional community. What we want to do is not just have our team and our church people share the testimony. We want people that walk in, they get up, and they talk about their spirituality, even when they do it badly. And we, we coach them, we help them to do it. But when you have somebody that they know, hey, wait a minute, that dude with the bandana, I mean, he's been here before, but I've never seen him serve. Why, why, why has he got the mic? Because you want it to be authentic. And sometimes that's messy and it's uncomfortable, but that is exactly what ministry is when it comes to the secular world. You're never going to have situations where what are easy. It gets uncomfortable. And so I think the church wants to get it all in a nice, neat bow. And the truth is um, the world's a mess. And we're in denial that we, we could do ministry clean, you know, and I, I could go off on that. I won't just help me, Jesus. Okay, so one in a hundred churches are growing by conversion. Let me just repeat that. One in a hundred churches are growing because people are actually getting saved. So that means 99 different churches are growing in other means of church growth beyond seeing the lost saved. Okay, just take a moment to weep. Because that is pretty astounding. You know, and the, and the reason why there are they're, they're people getting others saved, but their parishioners are dying off just as fast as the people are getting saved. So they really don't have growth from it. They're just maintenance. And so let me, let me just talk a little bit about this aspect of salvation and transformation. You know, the testimony is when you hear somebody talk about how Jesus has changed their life, it, all, it brings up the question in every person's heart is, do I know the Lord? You know, and then you relate to the places in their journey. So we've already talked about that, but I, I just want to remind you. The question is, are you one in a hundred? Will you choose to be that way? Because every time, again, the axiom goes, when we're called to make disciples, right? Not converts. So whenever you have disciples, you will always have churches. But whenever there's churches, there's not always disciples. So within that context, we, we have to come back to, this is not just getting people to have a meal with you or getting them to say a confessional prayer. You want them to grow up in an environment where it is natural as breathing, that they're talking to people about Jesus, sharing their personal testimony. This is the kind of discipleship culture that you want to create. So the best ingredient of, of the meals is the love of Jesus. It's just flat. The best ingredient isn't the food. It's not, wow, what an amazing testimony. That person, oh, you know, they were dangling over the cliff and they gave their life to Jesus. It was amazing. You know, as amazing as that is, when somebody is sharing tears running down their face and saying, I didn't know how, I didn't feel love. I was abused as a child. And then somebody came in and began to talk to me about that God loved me. And I said, no way, that's not possible. And then and he says, and the more that she talked to me, the more I realized maybe it was possible. And then the tears began to flow, and her heart began to melt, and the power of Jesus comes in. It's the best ingredient that you have. If you have nothing else, if you know the love of Jesus, you have something to share every time you go together. So the second one is the missional connections. So part of the missional connection is 
you know, I'm one of the Blues Brothers. I'm on a mission for God. How about you? You know, we're all in a place of mission, okay? And what's the mission? Disciples. Making disciples. That's the mission, okay? So don't confuse dinner church with getting a crowd. Don't confuse it with a good meal. Come back to the place of the best way to make disciples is doing what Jesus did. Being around sinners, being in the mess, you know, being around that. So we've developed in our, our place. So, you know, when we had dinner church, we were missing this step here. But let me tell you about the other things we do to get people there. We, have, we run a thrift store. We call that our front door. Uh, more people come to our church through our thrift store. So come to the thrift store, get an invitation to come to dinner church. We do produce days. We, again, serve about 500 people on one day uh, worth the Cleveland Food Bank. You can do produce days where you're at. Um, it's possible. Uh, and in that place, um, they deliver it for free, and we give out eight tons of produce. You know, six tons of produce, I'm sorry, six tons. We do about eight tons a month because we do, uh, like, five distributions. So we work our butts off to position ourselves to talk to people that need Jesus. So they come in in a lot of different ways. Uh, there, we do a community meal every Tuesday. Community meal is the easiest to do because they send you people who are, you, they call up and they say, hey, I need a meal, what can I do? Your church can do a community meal. The food bank will give you the food to do it, you know, so you can do it that way. And you'd be amazed at how many community meals that do that kind of stuff around there. In our area, Catholic Church, Methodist Church, Presbyterian Church, other Methodist Church, other Catholic Church, us, you know, so we are just one of a, of a bunch of different ones. So it's not like in our area, because it's Catholic, a lot of those meals are going on. So it wasn't unusual for just anybody. They find out, oh, they're just the next one on the list. Until they find out, oh, you're the only church that does one on Saturday. I'll come to that one. And they hear the gospel for the first time. So that's the strategy that we have. And so you've got to come up with your own strategy. Some people are trying to start a meal and no one shows up, which is a real bummer. You know, for your people because you're working hard. So we did this uh, again. We've been doing a Thanksgiving meal for 20 years. We've done a Thanksgiving meal. This last year, we did uh, 900 meals, five locations. We do. We just set up a buffet line and a senior high rise, and boom, boom, boom. We we feed them. We pray with them. It's it's open hands, and we probably have 150 volunteers, of which maybe 40 of them are from our church. So all of this is, again, a missional community style because we, we live in a very populated area. We're blessed that way. It's a great opportunity. It's also a great responsibility. So, you know, uh, I'm not saying that to say, wow, look what we did. There's a lot of people that need Jesus. And we're all responsible for the souls in our community. So, um, you know, that, it's just powerful. So let me just, um, just give you this aspect of the missional community. And, and it's about the story of the Emmaus Road. We, we love that story. So what happens is we need eyes to be open to Jesus. And some of the eyes and the understanding of missional community is, is really powerful. And, uh, and the third ingredient, and this is in the context of the third ingredient, is reintroducing Jesus to believers. That's right, I just said it. Reintroducing believers to Jesus. So in Matthew 25, verse 37... You know, it's, it's, it's actually amazing. I, I walked into a chapel in our area from a Catholic nursing home, and they had seven different things on the wall. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. It went through all the seven things that Matthew 25 says. 
But he says, when you've done it to the least of these, you've done it to me. Okay, so he's talking to his apostles who have journeyed with him. And it says, they said, when did we do that, Lord? So let me just suggest to you that one of the most powerful things about helping those that are in need is it reintroduces you to who Jesus is. So what we tell our people is, we've got some nasty people. I have never been swore at in the way that I have been swore at before until we started doing compassion meals in our church. People have said, you are going to, I hope you rot in hell. I hope that when Jesus sees you, he's going to kick you immediately into hell. It's a drug addict that was helping us do meals. And, you know, we held him accountable or something, and he just went off. I've had people say, you're a fraud. You're a phony. And, and my response now is, thank you for affirming my faith in Jesus. Hallelujah. You just did something that Jesus said I should rejoice over when they say all kinds of nasty things about me and rejoice. The reintroduction of Jesus is that behind every nasty person is a Savior that died for them. So if, if you want to say that, just over their shoulder, Jesus is standing there saying, I love this guy. He's my child. And I want you to love them. And we're saying, no, Lord, that's not going to work today. I've had a bad day. You don't know over time. You know, no, I, I don't want to meet that kind of Jesus that loves somebody like that. No, it helps you to go the extra mile to say that, gee, it's real. Okay, somebody was supposed to tell me that we were at 20 minutes left. Okay, thank you. You're 20 minutes left. Thank you. All right, so I'm going to stop with that. The reintroduction of Jesus Unfortunately, instead of reintroduction, there's been a reduction of Jesus. He is not who he needs to be in our churches. He needs to be more powerful than demons. He needs to be more powerful than heroin. And we've got to reintroduce ourselves to the fact that Jesus saves people because he loves them. And he saved you because he loves you. And part of that reintroduction is, is that our vision of who Jesus loves and how he loves them. It's much different. Okay, so let's open it up to question and answers uh, here. Yes? Man, i got too many, Larry. Uh, first of all, I know you have one in church. Where else do you have them? What is the typical time frame for an evening? Mm -hmm. So an hour, 15 minutes, hour and a half, you know, from beginning to end. Depends on the speaker, and we don't want to be too rigid. But at the same time, you know, sometimes you have logistic issues with the meal, you know, or something. So, you know, there is some flexibility there. So, like I said, we've already been in uh, five different apartments this last year. So our goal is to go into apartment complexes like we did at Thanksgiving, set up a buffet line in their foyer, and then have a meal right there with them and do it in the apartment complex itself. So you could do this in a lot of different ways. Some people, uh, like for us, we have a senior center there. They do uh, Meals on Wheels things. So what we did was we parked ourselves right next to it, did a produce distribution so that we could be in the vicinity of that and have conversations with people while they're eating a meal and talking to them there. So we've been at a place in Eastlake, um, Surfside Towers, Abbott's Manor in Willoughby, uh, the villas in Euclid, uh, Indian Hills in U uh, Euclid as well. So um, our, we have 10 sites of which we've been to eight of them already and done some kind of outreach there. So our goal, again, is to be in that. We have two apostolic teams 
you know, and these are not big teams because, you know, these hallways, some of them are very small. So, you know, having 10 people in their lobby uh, is a crowd. So we go in with four people, and that's it, four. And so when we come in, we invite people from the community uh, that's there. We won't do a meal if we don't know anybody in that building. So that's one of our rules. So we talk to the management team. We do a meet and greet there. We bring our barbecue, cook some hot dogs, and just begin to meet people and say, hey, we'd like to do a meal, but we can't do it unless we get five more people. Would you be one of those five people? Could you help us? Because, you know, there's a lot of, you've got shut-ins in here and seniors, and, you know, they could really use some encouragement. So we talk about using food as encouragement. So um, is frequency weekly for all those? So we do, no. So we've done some monthly for a while. And, again, depends on the management, how open they are. You know, uh, we're in Catholic countries, so some of them are not very open. But we tell our teams, if we go in there once and share a personal testimony, it's a win. Okay? So we go as long as we can. Uh, we've been kicked out of places before. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus, for the rejection. Uh, so not because we wanted to, but just, you know, they, they found out that, hey, they actually believe in, in this faith-based, you know, thing. So, yeah, so... Uh, rhythm is, is really important. I would suggest, you know, even if you can get into a place quarterly and build some rapport, weekly is best. So we do a meal every Tuesday, every Saturday, once a month on a Saturday morning that we do when we do a big distribution. All of those, we have teams in there that are soaking people out to pray with them. That's the thing that we do. Yes? Um, so this is not um, like a dinner church, church plant, where this is the church. Yeah. This is more like an evangelism, no. where it's a bridge to a different church. No, we pack. So even the believers who are part of that church, that is considered their home church. Right, with the desire to build that up. So every, so our goal is 10 churches during the Ohio for Jesus. Each church has three different things that they're doing. One, hopefully a weekly meal somewhere, and two other outreaches that month that are in other apartment buildings. And then the discipleship groups in each building as the Holy Spirit opens up doors in those places. So, And that's where the church comes in. It's a microchurch, they call them. So the goal isn't to, you know, it, it, if, the, if it begins to grow organically and move out of that, then we find another place in community and, and have a church service and bring that together. But with the idea of outreach, 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 in, you know, discipleship, and then, so getting disciples first, and then the church is really the goal. Yeah? Is there ever a time when you would, uh, like, max the cap that you would want as part of that dinner church in order to plant another church? Mm -hmm. So, like yeah, so we've already, we, we did one down by Cleveland Clinic in uh, Rockefeller Park Tower there. You know, heavy drug use in that building, a little scary for our people because, you know, we're suburbanites, so um, it freaked us out quite a bit. Um, you know, that, and they weren't high, they were drunk, they were high, you know, so that was weird that people are like 60, 70 years old and they're high and they're coming to the meal and it's like, wow. So, um, so what we did there is we just ran multiple, uh, you know, um, dinners. So they would come in, they'd usher them out, another set would come in. I mean, just kind of like churches do, if you don't have room there, you do what you can, and then you just do it again and again. So that's kind of how, the, the, you know, the organic side of that is however the Holy Spirit leads. There's no real answer to that, you know, um, because, uh, you know, we, we've hit ceilings before, and, and when it maxed out, they just wait and, just like they would to a restaurant. They sit and wait, and then we do it again. So, yeah. How do you deal with allergies? 
Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so if, if they come in, if we know about it, we'll, we'll try to adapt to it. But usually if it's their first time there, say come back next time, let us know, we'll come prepared. Like gluten-free stuff, things like that. So, you know, that the dietary issue is important. There's some people that can't really eat everything. Yes? Well, along that line, do you have any issues with, like, health departments? Yeah, good, good question. There's this amazing law in Ohio <laughs> called the Good Samaritan Law, which means you don't have to obey that. So the drug addict that told me I, I should go directly to hell called the health department on us. And they came out, and uh, they said, hey, some guy called the health department. said, I just want you to know, uh, there's nothing he could do or I can do because you're not under our regulation. Uh, so, um, you know, that, that's a beautiful thing. And um, most, most churches, it is, again, as long as it's free or donation-based, there's no rules. So, uh, which is good and scary. Okay, yes. You said to the one-on-one -on -one conversation, you said there was some videos or something up on the website? Um, the one-on-one -on -one conversations that they have, you can, you can Google Dinner Church, and uh, Verlin Fosner has a lot of good things up there. So, this isn't rocket science, you know, when it comes to it. It's, it's, it's really simple. It's almost too simple. Um, and so, I think, you know, the real issue gets back to is why you're doing what you're doing. If you're going to go in there and bring the love of Jesus and share that. So for some places, um, it depends on where you live. Uh, you know, you, you may want to just go do a meal and just love people. That might be the best thing to do. And then, you know, as you love people, maybe at that point bring in somebody to share their testimony that they already know. So that it's kind of woven in, baked into the opportunity. Yes? Um, I live in a very, very rural area. Yeah. We don't really have complexes mm -hmm. that are more than maybe 20 people. So obviously that could still work, but is this something that can be planted in a replant church? Sure. Uh, the flexibility of it, it can be done just about anywhere, anytime. So they have trailer parks. Trailer parks have community rooms. Boom. Wow. What a concept. They have libraries. Talk to the library. Say, we'd like to do a community meal here. You know, is it possible to rent one of your rooms? Boom. Every community has a, uh, a library. So you, you, they have senior centers. Sometimes you may just go in and say, hey, look, can, we'd love to serve the seniors here. We just love them. You know, God's put such a desire on our heart to touch widows and widowers. You know, so boom. Yeah. Well, what about advertising, um, like flyers and things like that? Are you upfront about, like, say, if you're going to tie it to a Bible study, or is that kind of like a hidden? Are you just like advertising as a free meal, or do you let them know that this is going on too? Or? Okay, so at our at our community meal, you know, we invite everybody come. It's open, but we're very open about it being faith based. Someone's going to share their spiritual journey. That's kind of how we present it, so that we're not, you know playing Jehovah Sneaky with them. Um, we, we want to make sure that we're connecting right. So uh, it's a good, good question about that, the aspect of it. So, you know, we're talking about building community. That's one of our concepts here. Most of the apartment complexes that we work with, our sales pitch to them is if people know their neighbors, they're safer. If people, again, feel safer, they're going to be happy. And if they feel happier, they're going to stay longer. So those three things is the sale. And there's actually, I think, a place called Apartment Cares. It's in Dallas. They actually market that as a faith-based initiative to help apartment complexes <coughs> keep help. Because they want, these are, we were talking earlier uh, about that too. People want to have special events. These, these managers do. They, they want to do an Easter thing. They want to do something with that. But they don't have a budget for it. So you as a community come in and say, hey, we'll help you with that. 
it's there's some synergy. Ooh, I like that word. Synergy that will help. So, yeah. Well, that gives exposure to the complex too. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You so. Spin that. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's some real good credibility that you can build there. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Pastor Layer, for me, there's a segment of people in the community that I'm called to reach that probably would not be attracted to my worship. Service. Yes. And so for me, I see Dinner Church as an opportunity for reaching into their community, mm -hmm. establishing a presence an apartment complex, a trailer park, whatever that might be. And I really don't envision that group of people ever making tracks back to my church. But I could establish a, 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 a church, community of believers in their area, and still have a group that come to Christ, Absolutely. grow in their faith, Mm -hmm. and move forward in a walk with Jesus. Now, am I thinking totally incorrectly? No, or? no I, I love it. Yeah, that's exactly our thought, too. Um, the good thing about Dinner Church, it's really, Dinner Church is modeled after something that some of you have heard of before. It's called Full Gospel Business Meeting. Okay? Same, it's the same thing, just brought in a different way. They would, they would talk to business people. Somebody would share their story. They'd have a special song. They'd have healing prayer at the end. That was Full Gospel Business Meeting, and it worked then. So think about that. That's to the business community. Whereas, you know, it's not just for the down and hours, mm -hmm. yeah. for sure. Yeah. I, I, this is, I'm leading a church plant in Shawnee, and I'm using this concept. Great. Within a house church with Muslims, 90% of which are physicians. So they're very wealthy Amazing. within the context of a dinner or a home where, they're, where we're eating their food, their international food. Um, it creates a completely different environment, and they will never make tracks right, to, exactly. to my church. Yeah, Number exactly. one, just by name of their occupation, they're private people. Number two, just they just won't. And so I, I think it's yeah. awesome. So, it's useful exactly. So the missional community, see, see that? I mean, you're talking about very specific yep. persons that you're trying to reach. Yep. So, I mean, the missional community style lends itself to this ability culturally. You don't realize how many layers of culture there are in here. You say you're in a rural area, there's rich rural people, there's poor rural people, there's, there's people that are married, single, you know, people that are into pet rescue, uh, you know, the, the, you've got all kinds of bizarre people that are there, but finding the niche of what rescue really, people are bizarre. <laughs> well, let me tell you a story. Here we go. The weird cat ladies on Facebook, you know, you can check it out. What do you do with kids during the service? So, that's a good question. Uh, we tell them to sit at the table when they can, you know, when we started, and we realized that didn't work too good. So we actually have a kids thing, and we multiplied our children's ministry quite a bit through that. So uh, finding somebody that has a heart to that is a real key part of your team uh, there. Uh, depends. You know, when we go to senior centers, we don't really have to worry about that. So all of them are different. All right. Thank you so much, guys. Uh,